Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, of course, there are two big news stories today, both um, that Alexis has had as medical at Manchester United and the sacking of Marco Silva. We'll address both with a representative from each of those clubs, uh, and then the, the guests on the show will talk about it. Uh, in response, um, Dan, we'll start with you first uh, discussing Arsenal. Alexis Sanchez, as we said, uh, reportedly had his medical today and has completed it. The deal allegedly supposed to be uh, publicized tomorrow or Monday for those listening to this, uh, not when we're recording it. Um, there's a lot of people talking about, obviously, how damaging Alexis leaving can be and what it means for the standing of Arsenal. Um, but curious to get your thoughts on uh, the fact that it sounds like McTarian is coming back. Again, we don't have those details confirmed at time of recording. But if McTarian does come back, and Dortmund have confirmed that you have officially bid for Aubameyang, if you got both of them in, is there a chance that this Arsenal team would actually be better than it would be with a disgruntled Alexis? So for the move entirely, one, I don't know how we're going to fit a Lacazette, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, and Ozil all into the side. But I don't know about this year, because people need time to adjust. But overall... Maybe. Can I say maybe? Um, <laughs> and as far as the, like, yeah, I don't know if we will be better, but we at least, this is a very best, a much better situation than I thought we'd come out of this with, because up until we really blew it over um, Christmas, I really thought we'd just hang on to him till the rest, till the end of the season, and then that would be that, and he'd leave on a free. Um, I'd have probably preferred cash than Mkhitaryan, Spanish 29-year-old Mkhitaryan on uh relatively big wages contract, but it's not the worst. Um, and he's... This all gets much worse if Ozo leaves in the summer, but if he does leave in the summer, Mkhitaryan's decent insurance to, you know, retain some level of respectability. Yeah, and would you not say that if, if you brought in two players like that, that that might convince Ozo that it's worth staying? Yeah, no, it absolutely could. That's absolutely a thing that could happen and would make me very happy. Um... But yeah, I'm not sure these moves are the right moves just because of the ages of Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan turned 29 today, and is Aubameyang, Aubameyang is either 28 or 29. I cannot recall at this very moment. But the age profiles aren't right, realistically. We're not immediately challenging. So I'm not sure these moves are necessarily smart, but they're going to be fun. Like, Arsenal could be legitimately very fun. Aubameyang is obviously extremely good, fitting him could be a thing, but, you know, if we can fit him, he's an incredible player. Mkhitaryan, I still believe, is closer to his form at Dortmund um, than he is at United. He's not the first player to go get bought by Mourinho, um, and then Mourinho not really like him, struggle under Mourinho, then go somewhere else and thrive again. Like, he wouldn't be the first one to do that. That happens not often, but, you know, it happens not irregularly. 
Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting. Um, as things sit right now, uh, since Aubameyang is still kind of up in the air, but it does look like Alexis is out and McTarrion is in, uh, if you had to guess right now, where do you think you finish the season? I mean, if Chelsea implode and continue looking at Ashley Barnes and any tall, any person... Peter Crouch, six, et cetera. Peter Crouch, that actually, oh my God, that is unbelievable. Um Somewhere between fourth and sixth, which is obviously not a really insightful answer. But um, I guess if I had to put a number, I'd still probably say fifth or, or sixth, really. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm still not that confident for top four this season. But um, I don't know. Worst case, we have we are not a complete joke going into the summer and can still attract players because that's. That, I'm not sure that's the biggest concern. That was one of the big concerns. We lose Alexis Nozil on freeze, then we have like nobody. Um, mm. Now we, at wor- worst case scenario, we have somebody. Again, I'm not sure moves are about start considering the ages of the players and the fact they're going to be on relatively big wages. Um, but it could have gone much worse, realistically, just as a decent middle ground. Yeah, if he had just walked, that, obviously that much worse. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear you say that you would have preferred to just have the money because do you think you would have been able to find a replacement as good as Mkhitaryan for the rest of the season? For, for that I'm money? not sure we would have, but if Mkhitaryan isn't Dortmund, then that contract is bad. Like, mm. uh, well, we don't know the years. It could be bad. If it's like three and a half, then I'm kind of fine regardless. Um, but if it's like five or four, that's or four and a half or five and a half, that's, if he's not real good that's a bad contract something that's hard to get hard books and again like 20 30 million in itself probably wouldn't be enough but you know add that on to whatever else we have and i don't know it depends on how good mkhitaryan is um Mm. and again i think we need to go more into rebuild than compete now because we're just not that good um like you know in the span of football we're pretty decent but for where we want to be we're not that we're not there right so I think we need to go more full rebuild. I think we're kind of in denial for that, but hmm. that is what it is. Um, this isn't a bad situation, and it could end up really well. Um, yeah. Mikita, You're just saying it's kind of more of a half Mikita measure. Yeah, which has been the story of Arsenal for about the last 12 months. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and I've admired Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang for years, and if they were two years younger, I'd love it. Um, now it's only an I like it. It could end well. It could end not well. But again, considering where this could have gone, this is okay. Right. All right. That's the that's the end line on this. Uh, it's okay. Uh, thanks so much, Dan, uh, for speaking with us, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Awesome. Thanks. All right, Richard. Uh, we've just heard from Dan there talking about the Arsenal side of the Alexis departure. Um, one of the points he brought up is that he would rather have had the cash than McTarian, even though it might not have been as good for this half season that's left. It may have set them up better for the summer. Uh, what do you make of that? Do you think you'd rather have had McTarian or just a, a lump of cash that obviously can't play a position? I would always, in any transfer deal. Um, barring something extraordinary like Barcelona wanting to part with Messi in exchange for uh, Mangala, you know, right? <laughs> generally, I would, I would rather have uh, cash than a player exchange because I think to me, a player exchange feels a little bit, um, you're not really getting your own way. So, yes, you offload the player that wants out or that you want rid of. And presumably you're happy to be bringing in the replacement. I guess it saves you that job. But unless 
Arsenal had had already identified Mkhitaryan as a player that they wanted and that suited them, unless they'd done that independently of this deal, then to me it's, it's... it's a consolation prize, and I'd rather have the cash. Now, I presume Arsenal would have been in a decent position to demand the cash from United, especially knowing that City would have um, were waiting in the wings and that even Chelsea obviously showed an interest in Sanchez quite late on. Um, yeah, I would have thought Arsenal would have been in quite a strong position. So I guess on, on that basis, they, they must be quite happy to be getting Mkhitaryan. But there's so many inbuilt... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just so many in, inbuilt maybe doubts that come with that because United are a, obviously a very good team and they're offloading Mkhitaryan because he didn't fit into their plans, which then, the, the fact that they obviously want him out, does that mean that Mkhitaryan's coming with sort of low on confidence? It, does it hint at anything that he's maybe not as well suited to the Premier League as we thought he was going to be. Um, And I'm not saying I think those things. I think he's a very good player. But I just think it does smack of the the buying club, I suppose, in this case United, getting very much their own way with the deal. And Arsenal, I don't know, maybe being pushed around a little bit. They wanted in the summer, it was well known that they asked for Sterling. When City were interested in Sanchez, they asked for Sterling as part of that deal, which City very, very quickly slapped down and Sterling said he never even bothered to ask Pep about it because he knew he'd already had the conversations about where he fit into the team. It didn't concern him in the slightest. Um, so it strikes me as a, I don't know, an odd way of doing business. Play a, play a swap deal sort of get mentioned quite often but very rarely actually come to pass um, and I think there's probably a reason for that because if you've got the cash you can go and make your own deal happen rather than having it happen to you hmm. uh, so yeah I'd, I'd agree with him I think the cash is the better option but it is what it is and they're getting a, a reasonable player in return and Arsenal have long held absolutely no power at all in uh, the Alexis Sanchez saga so they're probably just relieved to have it over at this point yeah, and if bringing in a player of Mkhitaryan's caliber means somebody like Utsal will sign on to a long-term contract, it could have larger benefits. Um, but do definitely see where you're coming from. He also mentioned that this kind of felt like a half measure uh, and that he doesn't think that even with uh, this deal and potentially an Aubameyang deal, uh, that they, they still are unlikely to make top four. With that being the case, do you think they would have been better served just hanging on to Alexis? Uh, at this point, no, depending on how accurate the, the sort of reports about his attitude have been. Uh, and there's, there's been reports popping up that his teammates had told Wenger that they just wanted it done with him, they wanted him out. And if that's the case, that can't be a good thing to have in the dressing room. He's, I mean, clearly a very talented player. And I don't think there's been a whole lot of question of his attitude whilst he's been on the pitch. But... um if that's if that's what's coming out of the dressing room at a club that already is, uh, again, uh, I don't know the word I'm reaching for. I was going to say volatile, and that isn't the right word, but a, a club where the dressing room doesn't always seem the most confident. They, they obviously have uh, a tendency to slip and produce some phenomenally bad results, like the, the defeat at Bournemouth last weekend. Uh, and th- those defeats seem to come out of nowhere. There's, you know, They can be in a good run of form, and that happens. Um I'm not sure having a player who is becoming less and less committed to the cause, uh, having him as one of your key players or, or keeping him to boost your chances of finishing in the top four, 
I'm not sure that's a great thing to have. So I guess my ideal, if I was doing that deal, my ideal scenario would be get the cash and get a replacement in. Um, but they're getting Mkhitaryan and probably Aubameyang. So I think they've got just as much chance of top four as they had with Sanchez if they're, if they're bringing two players in. And good players. But I still don't think they'll get top four. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it would be very difficult for them. But glad to hear somebody say it. Uh, it's a little less biased than I am. Uh, as City, not so much challenging for top four as much as strolling towards the title. All right, next up, we're going to be talking the other big storyline of the day, which is Marco Silva's sacking by Watford. Uh, obviously, not exactly um, new thing at Watford, releasing a manager while kind of the general public are confused by it. Uh, we have Mike joining us uh, from the Rookery End podcast, which uh, everybody should go and have a listen to. Mike, again, from the external perspective, seems crazy to get rid of Marco Silva, especially just months after Everton wanted to pay you to take him. Uh, obviously, the result's not very good lately. Just one win in the last 12 in the Premier League, if my counting is correct. Uh, what, what is the feeling inside Watford about the, the sacking of Marco Silva? I don't think anyone's surprised. Um, and I don't think, perhaps more surprisingly, I don't think anyone's really that upset. Um, Watford have been sitting... Um, what on the outside might look fairly prettily intense in the in the Premier League for for quite a while now, but that um, that masks a whole lot of uh, issues that have been bubbling under for a long time now. A closer look at the Premier League table would um, reveal the fact that we're only five points clear of the relegation zone, um, and quite frankly, we're getting closer with each with each passing um, game weekend. The the form, as you rightly pointed out, there has been appalling. Um, and not only have we been losing games, but we've been losing games um, to teams in and around us, the teams that, with, with all due respect to those sides, as a, as a team that's looking to establish themselves in the, in the middle of the Premier League, teams you should be looking to get points off. So, uh, you know, we lost 4-1 at home to Huddersfield is, the, is probably the standout example. Um, so the form has been alarming. Um, I would say that in, in itself, that isn't necessarily enough to get rid of a, uh, a manager at this stage of the season. Even us, even here at Watford, we're prepared to uh, give uh, give head coaches a, um, a little bit more time than that. But th- as you'd have seen in the the statement, which was pretty strongly worded from from Watford today, um, and I was I was quite appreciative of that. I thought it's I thought it made quite a uh, a refreshing change for them to kind of say how they're actually feeling, as opposed to just saying uh, we'd like to place on record our thank you, thanks to Marco Silva and wish him the best in their, in, in their future endeavours. They've they've you know, there's a parting shot there. Make no mistake about it. And what I'm getting to, obviously, is is the story that everyone knows about now, and is that is that's the interest from from Everton. Um, and at that stage in the season, Watford were were playing really really nice football. They were they were turning in some really uh, eye catching results. Um, the players were obviously playing for, for for Marco Silva. We were at fourth in the Premier League at one stage, fourth or fifth. They might have been fifth actually. Um, we were transitioning beautifully from from defence to attack. We were asking questions of every every team we played. Uh, then came Everton's interest, um, and it transpires that it wasn't just a one way street. It wasn't unrequited uh, desire, if you like. It became very evident very quickly that that Marco Silva wanted to to leave the club, um, and not only that, he wanted to take some of the players with him. Um, and that move was blocked quite publicly by by Watford, which I thought was a, an impressive stance. Um, but ever since then, there was sort of, uh, yeah, irreconcilable differences, um, I think, uh, ever since then. And so if you if you add the form um, into into Marco Silva's pretty dodgy behaviour, if you ask me, I think nine, ten games into your 
reign as a as a manager. I think you owe your employer a little bit more than to have your head turned at the uh, at the first uh, glimpse of a, a new opportunity. So I think he was, I think he behaved pretty poorly, and I suspect mm. he may well regret it. Um, a pretty long answer there. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, of course, uh, externally again, it, it kind of seems like this is one of those situations where once that interest was made public, and as you said, it was both directions um, that maybe he lost the dressing room. But then you see Richarlison's uh, tweet today. I don't know if it's still up now. Uh, kind yeah. of uh, through emoji form, uh, showing his frustration with the move. Uh, do you think it's more on the side that the players are, needed a new voice in their ear, or do you think some of the players like Richarlison will be upset at the sacking? I think there will be certainly some that will be upset that, that Marco Silva's left. Make, make, make no bones about it. He, we, he had those players playing for him at the start of the season and they were playing some terrific stuff. Watford were a team that people were talking about and as, as supporters, we enjoyed watching. Um, they were really playing some good stuff. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that, um, that there's a lot of players there who believed in Marco Silva. Richarlison was definitely one. He was a player that, um, that, that Marco Silva wanted signing. Um, so yeah, I think people will be disappointed that, that he's gone into on the, on the playing staff. It's like any any club, any footballing team, any sporting team that you have your favourites, um, and that again works both ways. A coach has his favourite players. Players have their coaches that they get on better with for whatever reason. Um, so I think with regards with uh, Richarlison's tweet, it was just one emoji. So he could have just lost to his little brother on FIFA or something like that. We don't know for sure that he was uh, voicing his frustration at the departure of Marco Silva, <laughs> but I think it's fair to assume that that was a little uh, he was making his his feelings known and to be perfectly frank I haven't got a problem with that I think uh, that's what social media is all about I think uh, I quite like people being being honest and frank on on social media so uh, I haven't got a a problem with with that tweet or his reaction Um, but in terms of did the players need uh, need a new voice well it's not necessarily the players needing a new voice we we need someone who's going to turn them into a team again Um, like I said, the, the form was absolutely dreadful. And we were, you know, within two weeks, we could be in the bottom three very, very easily. Um, we've been drifting. It's been, a, it's been a steady and consistent decline. And there's been absolutely no sign of that being turned around, that, that slide being arrested. So to answer your question, yes, I think they, the, his favourites, if you, if you want to call it that, it's a bit, bit twee, I guess, to call them his favourites. But, but those who are still playing for Marco Silva now need a bit of a kick at the backside because they obviously weren't playing well enough um, and I think those who perhaps had had enough of Marco and, uh, and were fed up with the whole situation now need to take this opportunity to push on and make sure that they can either prove themselves worthy of, of a move to a, 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 a supposed better club in the summer um, or, or those that are going to stay with Watford to, to make sure that Watford um, maintain their Premier League uh, status. Mm. So yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely vital that that a new voice, a new man, a new head came in. They need refocusing, reinvigorating, um, and they, they effectively need to start again. It's a mini-season now. We're lucky and we have got a bit of a head start. There is still that cushion there. Um, but we've got some tough games coming up and uh, it's going to be a massive challenge. Um, yeah, really big challenge. But I think Watford fans feel reinvigorated by it. We're feeling a lot more confident now because, like I said, it was just a consistent slide, a constant slide, a, a churn of very average performances. Mm. Uh, and you could almost, before you even start the game, you, you could you could tell how it was going to go. Um, we'd, we'd create a couple of chances, but largely speaking, it would be a, a regulation win for the opposition. And, and it doesn't need me to spell out that that's not good enough. Yeah. Uh, Richard, do you have any questions? 
yeah, um, I don't know if this will be one that you'll even have a view on, but from sort of the outside, just on, on Marco Silva as a coach, where do you think he goes next? Because obviously from, um, again, not supporting either of the clubs that he's managed in the Premier League, it strikes with a hole. He came in and had a, a really good start and uh, came in with a good reputation, but ultimately they got relegated, but he was still able to walk into a, a good Premier League job, where again, he made a good start. And then there's been, obviously, this massive slide that you've um, obviously spoken about. But that came after having his head turned. So as opposed to being necessarily uh, directly about his coaching or managerial ability. So what, do you, what do you think of him just as a coach and where do you see him next? It's, it's a very difficult one to answer because I think my personal view is that he handled the Everton approach very, very badly. Um, and I think my view is that I'd, I'd see it as him not backing himself because he, all he had to do really at Watford was deliver a vaguely decent season. Um, you know, and, and by that, I mean, 13th, 12th, 11th, 10th would have been magnificent, but, but turn in a decent, a decent year at Watford and you're going to attract attention because the Premier League is an incredibly difficult league to, to be a head coach and it's incredibly competitive. So if he does anything other than anything even slightly above an average season, the chances are, that there's going to be a bigger club than Watford that's going to come in and, and, and want him. Um, the first sort of 10 games were, as I said, were absolutely fantastic. The players were obviously fully on board with him. Um, Watford were playing lovely, attacking, fluid football, which is something you wouldn't necessarily attribute to Watford usually. Um, you know, us as fans, we were blown away by it. It was absolutely fantastic. His attention to detail is supposed to be, supposed to be very good. But as you say, the first chance, uh, the first opportunity, the first sighting of, of what he felt was a, a bigger opportunity. And, and that was it, quite frankly. He was ready to down tools. Um, and I think that's because he was worried about he wasn't going to be able to deliver. And for me, that showed a lack of confidence on his part and a lack of nous. I thought he was naive and he, and he handled it very badly. Um, so now he's in a situation where... He's, he, he, Hull got relegated and I think you get away with that because they're obviously in a terrible state when he got there, but he had a big bounce and then a big blip. And now he's been at Watford where he's had a great start and a big blip, which he's been unable to, to deal with. And then you throw into the mix this issue where he's, his loyalty has been publicly questioned. And that's, I'll go back to the statement by Watford. I think they're making sure that people mm. understand what happened. So uh, we watched the Southampton game, for, for example, this afternoon. There's a bit of early chatter that if they lost heavily to Tottenham, they might get rid of their manager and be looking to, to appoint potentially Marco Silva. Now, Watford's statement may resonate with the board of another club, uh, saying, look, he was contracted to us and his performance has suffered because he chose to talk to someone else. Um, so I think, personally, I think he's, he's probably going to have a little bit of, of talking to do uh, when it gets to the... The interview stage, um, mm. I suspect um, I suspect he will get a job fairly comfortably. Whether he'll he will get the job that he was angling for um, in the upper echelons of the of the Premier League, I I doubt. I think he's he's made life very very difficult for himself, um, and I think he will regret his his actions. I, mean, I haven't really got any. I don't wish him any ill. Um, I just think he handled it incredibly badly. I think all he had to do was hang on. Um, you know, agents are, are talking to other clubs, to other agents all year round, whether whether we like it or not. And he could have said to Everton, look, I really appreciate the interest. I'm interested as well. I mm. think you can probably understand I can't just ditch Watford after nine games. It's not a great look for me. Um, let's talk in the summer. 
Um, maybe that's a bit too straightforward. But you know, if he if he'd have done well at Watford, Arsene Wenger might not be at Arsenal um, this this time next year. They might be looking for a, a new manager. Pochettino at Tottenham might be on the move. There's always going to be vacancies for him at the end of this season, and all he had to do was stick it out, and he was unable to do it past mm. nine games, which I think I just think it reflects badly on him. I think he handled it it poorly. I, w- I will say that the football initially was magnificent, and there are other mitigating circumstances. Um, some of Watford's transfers haven't necessarily worked out, so probably the highest profile one of those is Andre Gray, um, signed for from Burnley, um, and he hasn't really hit the ground running. He hasn't really worked worked out as as many would have hoped. We've had a couple. We've had to rely on a couple of defensive squad players um, due to due to injuries, and, and they've they were signed in the summer. And they're not really proven to be up to the task. And we've also had some pretty chronic injuries. So Kiko Firmino is a is a player who not many people will have heard of, but he was playing right wing back for us and he was really important in, in transitioning as quickly from, from defence into, into attack. And we had uh, Nathaniel Chalabar in midfield as well, who we signed from Chelsea in the, the summer. He, he just looked absolutely incredible and, and really had his ticking. And both those players have been missing through, through injury for a long time. So there were mitigating circumstances to the slump. You can throw into that. Um, we've had pretty severe uh, disciplinary problems as well. Troy Deeney's missed sort of missed more games than than goals scored. He's I think he's missed seven games through suspension now. Um, a couple of defenders have been suspended. So there are mitigating circumstances. Silver did have a tough hand to play for 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 long periods of the season. But yeah, to to answer your question, I I think he'll get another job. I think that that's not going to be difficult. But I think he's he's probably set himself back. He's made it harder than than it would have been for him to get a uh, to get a job that he potentially would have wanted, and that's that's something in the top half of the Premier League. Mm. Um, just to wrap things up, uh, the new manager coming in is Javi Garcia. Uh, you're hearing this, so you know it's not a typo. I'm sure many people <laughs> assumed it was Garcia <laughs> at the time. Not many familiar with him. Uh, just curious to to get any background that you may know about him and the direction you think he may take the club. Um, I think we've been lucky enough to speak to um, to David Garrido, who presents the um, presents a lot of the Spanish football on uh, on Sky Sports in the in the UK, and he's given us a bit of a uh, bit of background on the latest podcast, which is from the Rookery End. It will be available on Monday, so you can get a, an in depth um, um, profile, if you like, from from someone with a, a better working knowledge of the Spanish Spanish game. Um, but I think he's got pretty pretty decent. Pedigree. He's done. He's done well in Spain. He's, he's managed uh, Malaga. He's also done uh, Ruben Kazan. Um, and I think what he's there's, it feels like he's he's a, there's a bit of the Kike Sanchez Flores about him in terms of he's he's very well organised. He knows what he wants from his teams. He sets them up probably a lot less expansive than than Marco Silva. Um, likes to play four four two is our understanding. So probably a bit more pragmatic in his approach. Look to get things solid at the back. Um, but I think I, I think it's going to be a good signing. He, 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 apparently, he has good um, a history of getting good results against the bigger teams. Um, so, getting his team up for for, for games against the, the the premier sides, if you like. And with Watford's running, uh, we've got to play a lot of the big sides, most of them away from home. Um, so that that could be that could be valuable valuable for us. But what what I'm, what I must say is that I'm impressed that we've got him in. We the Royal we that Watford have got him in so so early. Um, if you look around the, the league at, at some of the other notable uh, head coach or managers leaving, look at Everton, Stoke and, and Swansea perhaps as three. They've taken upwards of, you know, they've taken two, three weeks to, to get someone in and Watford have, Watford have got it done um, in a day. 
Um, and I think it just shows clear, decisive thinking from the board. A lot of people still won't um, still won't believe that that they're doing the right thing in in, in getting rid of managers relatively quickly. But but what they do do is they act decisively. They have they are fully. Um, behind their beliefs and they and they act, they act accordingly. So I'm impressed that 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 he's in. Um, like I say, Watford supporters, I think, are breathing a sigh of relief. It feels like we've got a chance to reset, reboot our season and, and go again. He's got a he's got a reasonable experience of operating in in the top divisions um, a, a, across Europe. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's players with something to prove. Um, uh, and yeah, I think. Fingers crossed, basically. It's it's obviously a gamble. It's obviously a jump into the unknown. But what I do know is that uh, that Marco Silva's position was absolutely untenable. Mm. Um, so it, no surprise. Um, but yeah, we're, Watford supporters are excited and, and, and raring to go now. Makes sense. Uh, gut feeling, do you think you get the six to seven wins needed to stay up? <sighs> it's going to be really difficult. I mean, I think what might well save us is that there are teams worse than us. Mm. Um which is which isn't a great great outlook. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. If we can get some of the players back from injury, I'll feel a lot more a lot more confident. I mentioned Chalaber. I think he's still a long way off. Um, and and Firmino, they're two key ones that I'd like to see back. But I think they're going to be a, a long way off. I think what I'm hoping is we're going to get that new manager bounce. So you get some of those players who perhaps have been frozen out a little bit by um, Marco Silva. We had uh, Isaac Success, who is an exciting young winger who came in. Um, a couple of years ago, he hasn't really had a chance. I think um, he's one that might get uh, get more more opportunities under the, a new head coach. And similarly, Stefano Akaka, who hasn't really done anything wrong. He's a he's a big striker for for Watford, but actually capped cap for Italy, so he's got a bit of pedigree. Um, not saying he's going to turn up and bang twenty goals in, but there are definitely players who who had issues with with Marco Silva and weren't perhaps getting um, getting the game time that that they and some supporters felt they deserved. So. Um, Ultimately, you'd hope that the players realise it's in their best, best interest to stay in this in this division, and they need to they need to regroup, refocus, and, and get on with it. You're putting a gun to my head and saying, "Will we stay up?" I'll say, um, "I'll say yes, but just." I think it's going to be an incredibly nail biting um, last quarter of the season. But I think that goes for everyone um, from Watford <laughs> um, below. So tenth, tenth downwards, as far as I'm concerned, in the Premier League are are in a relegation battle. Yeah, still a very small gap between them. And to your point, uh, Watford players probably not that unused to trying to figure things out quickly under a new manager. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to come on. Uh, would you like to plug anything on your way out? Just from the rookery end, uh, our Watford podcast, it's on, it's out every week. Um, and being about Watford, there's always plenty to talk about. So uh, you can download from iTunes or all the usual uh, uh, podcast places. Check us out on uh, fromtherookeryend.com and Watford podcast on Twitter, Watford podcast on uh, Instagram and you can find us on Facebook too but yeah from the rookery end give it a listen if nothing else to find out a bit more uh, about the new manager that'll be out on Monday awesome thanks for coming on you're more than welcome cheers chaps alright Richard we just had a, a nice long conversation there with Mike with all of his views on Watford what do you make of that whole situation now that we've gotten a little more uh, information out of him Th- think it was the right call and that they'll be able to stay up uh, I do think they'll be able to stay up. Uh, the the two times I've uh, seen them live this season when they played against uh, against City, they've been fairly poor. But I accept that that's sort of, the first time we played them was when we were just starting absolutely flying and we had a 6-0 win at Vicarage Road. The second time was when they were well into the midst of this run that they're on. Um, but they came and for a, a manager who has this reputation for, um, as Mike said, always having a, a plan for... Um, 
and, and, and going into great detail for every opponent, he had nothing for City. And some teams have done, I know obviously we've been in a, we're having a quite astonishing season, but we've seen teams come to us and make it much, much harder for us than Watford did. We scored after 38 seconds and they absolutely crumbled and they were very, very easy to play against. So as a sort of one game indicator of where they're at, they were not in a good shape, in good shape at all. Um, and so that's indicative of the, the, the general position. I'm not surprised he's gone. Um, it did come as a, a little shock this morning when I, when I saw the news because I hadn't heard any rumblings that it might happen. But if they're so sure that the reason their form is so bad is because his head was turned and his heart hasn't been in it all, he's not been able to have the same impact on his players since then. It's the only decision they can make. And it's a, it's a shame all round because I think it, it was really interesting to see a, a young manager making an impact in the Premier League that maybe not that many people knew much about before he joined Hull last season. Um, and he was he was really impressing people and it was quite interesting to see whether he could help stabilise Watford, who obviously have had for, for various reasons. They've had to change managers a lot over recent years. Um, it, it was I was quite interested in seeing how they would stabilise with somebody who seems to be playing good football, seems to have a, quite a lot of nous about him. Mm. But obviously now we don't get to see that. Uh, which is a shame. I think it'll be difficult for them. Um, that I don't think they're going to have a, a storming end to the season or anything like that because I think it's so hard to pull yourself out of this kind of rut. But they have acted quickly. They clearly knew who they wanted before they made the decision. So it's, again, for a, a club that has this reputation, uh, or a fair reputation for changing manager as often as they do, um, I think that contingency planning and knowing that they've they've made a decision because they already had a replacement lined up, that's really good. It's at odds with what you saw at Stoke, for example, mm, where they had to have just rejections. Weeks. Yeah, and, and two very clear rejections from Flores and uh, O'Neill before mm. the sort of third choice Lambert. Um, I think that's a really good thing for, for Watford as a club, and that's actually quite impressive. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm very interested to see what Silva's next move will be and, and what kind of job he walks into next and how far that sets him back. I think Watford will stay up, but where they go from there, I mean, they, they really are a club that needs a bit of stability um, and it's just hard to see where it comes. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, good luck to them, really. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I love that you brought up uh, Silva's arrival at Hull last year because um, I kind of was likening it to... Uh, Pochettino's randomly showing up at uh, Southampton when they sacked yeah. Adkins kind of out of the blue. It felt kind of similar in a lot of ways, um, especially considering how well he did. Obviously, slightly different because Hull were in a much worse position than Southampton were, which is probably why that one was even more surprising at the time. Um, but as you said, incredibly talented young manager. Uh, totally agree with what Mike was saying. I do think he made the wrong move by not very publicly denouncing the Everton job as Sean Dyche did. And you can see, because both of them were in that same area, that fourth to sixth for a period mm-hmm. of time. Dyche formally always denounced it. Of course, there's still the possibility, as Mike said, that agents are talking in the background. But publicly, you just got to say no. And then if it happens, like maybe you get the Fabian Delft treatment with like you said no up until the second you left, and that's fine. But it gives you the chance to turn things around if you stay. And that's what ended up happening to Silva and I think really crumbling. As for the end of the season, I am 
I agree with both of you that they they may stay up, but I don't think it'll be of their own merits. I think it'll be because of other people. They do have talented players. Um, I thought the Will Hughes signing was a really interesting one in the summer. Um, he mentioned Femenya and uh, Richarlison, obviously the two big imports this season uh, that have been huge for them. But if you look, look at the center backs, they haven't improved on them basically since they came into the Premier League. Um, the mm-hmm. forwards, Andre Gray and Troy Deeney, just aren't good enough at this level. Uh, Okaka hasn't really been fit. I think there are a lot of question marks in the squad. I mean, you can go through most of the other teams down there, and you have you can have some pretty significant questions. Um, but aside from what Richarlison has done lately, uh, and pretty good performances every now and again from Decore and Capu, it's hard to say what they do well. And it's very hard to hang my hat on a team saying, I think they'll stay up without knowing what they do well. Because you've had teams in the past like West Brom. What do they do well? Defend. Easy. Or Blackpool there year up. I, I did think they'd stay up even though they didn't. Um, because what did they do well? Attack. Like, it's easy to say this is the reason they could do it. And uh, to his point, I think if Watford do it, it's because other people fail worse. Not really so much because of something that they will do. Obviously, this is kind of harsh. Don't know uh, the new manager uh, at all. He, he he gave us a little information on that, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but I'm not particularly confident they stay up. And if they do, I think it'll just be because of worse failures uh, from those around them. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll come back with uh, some Manchester City questions for you. All right, and we are back. uh, Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Obviously earlier in the show we had to talk a little bit about the Alexis uh, news from the Arsenal departure side. Now, obviously, we have to get into it a little bit more from the Manchester City side. This is a move that's been kind of in the works for 18-plus months that we've heard, you know, Pep Guardiola was interested in Alexis, his contract's winding down, question mark, question mark. It looks all done until all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, United comes knocking. We did talk about the United angle uh, with Joshi last week. Just curious to hear from from your side, because this is obviously a City side that's still, you know, w- with any reasonable outcomes going to win the title this season, but still must certainly be uh, a bit strange seeing him go to your cross-town rivals after having been linked to him for so long. Yeah, I mean, what was what was always clear was that uh, Sanchez, since the rumbling started before the end of last season, Sanchez wanted the move to City and was very keen on working with Guardiola again. That much was very, very obvious. And City clearly wanted him. A lot didn't happen in the summer that made the transfer not go through then. Uh, I think City, I don't know what game they were playing behind the scenes that made them leave it so late to lodge an official bid, but they messed it up. And Arsenal messed it up from their point of view because they ended up keeping an unhappy player 
and getting obviously not the, the most favourable deal for themselves. They could have got a lot of money last summer, but they left it too late to try and move for a replacement. So it didn't happen in the summer because I think everybody messed up a little bit. And then City were never going to move for him in January. That was never the plan until the injury to Jesus, which obviously changed things a little bit. And then it suddenly became a little bit more pressing to try and get him in. From everybody's point of view, now that we know he's fallen apart and he's about to sign for United, he's had his medical and everything now, um, I think everybody involved has made the right decision. It's not where a month ago I'd have liked us to be. I'd have liked us to have signed him with no complications and none of this sort of saga element to it this month. Um, they seem to have sort of squeezed a, normally a full transfer window's worth of a saga into a few days. Uh, but Sanchez has been offered a phenomenal amount of money, more than he would have got from City, to go and play for a club that will challenge for titles. He'll play, he'll be a star man there. Um, and I, I don't begrudge him that. If it's the money that's turned his head, then so be it. Everybody works for money, so I, I've, I've no real issue with that. It's not like he's going to a nothing club either, as much as I don't like to say that about United. They're a top club. He'll play in, champ- in the Champions League and he'll, he'll have a chance at trophies, so that's fine. United have done a deal that improves their team, so that makes sense. And from City's point of view, they have showed that they will not bow to an agent's demands when there's already a deal in place. That's um, a, a fair principled stance, I think. Um, and one of the things that City have now... Um, they they won't do deals with players, and it sounds really sort of self-righteous, this, but again, I think it's a good way to operate. They won't do deals with players who aren't absolutely clear that City's where they want to be. So uh, last summer, uh, summer before, sorry, Guardiola's first summer at City, they pursued for a long time Emerick Laporte from uh, Athletic Bilbao. They really wanted him. At the last minute, he signed a new contract with Bilbao. City won't ever go back for him now because it, it doesn't matter if he's the best defender in the world and he expresses a desire to come to City. City's position is, um, is, is a clear, if it's not us you want, then that's OK. But we're not going to chase you. If you do want us, then we'll do, and we want you, we'll do what we can to make the deal happen. Um, and if I may give a, a little bit of credit to that insight, um, I would recommend listening to this week's Blue Moon podcast. I can't claim that as my own sort of insight. It's from a, a gentleman called Sam Lee, who we have on the podcast, and is, is very, very good. Um, and I, I think that's a, an interesting and brilliant position to take. Then on the financial side of it, we're currently in, we've just announced a new contract for Nicholas Otamendi, who is absolutely crucial to us now. We've just announced a new contract to, for Fernandinho, who is a huge player in our team. We couldn't really function properly without him at the moment, and uh, he has been that way for a few years. Uh, we are about to, uh, it seems, announce a new contract for Kevin De Bruyne, and we are surely soon going to enter in negotiations with Raheem Sterling, as well as already giving Jesus a new contract to make sure that he's paid appropriately for the impact that he's had. With all that going on, those players won't be paid anywhere near what Sanchez is going to earn at United. And if we'd bow to that, the potential for those players to turn around to City before they sign the contracts or just after they sign them and say, well, surely we should have another fifty or £100,000 on our, on our weekly pay. 
um, or for the potential discord that that might sow in the dressing room. It's just not needed when what is really clear at City at the moment, aside from how good they are on the pitch, there's a real obvious brilliant team spirit about them. You see it when players who would reasonably expect to be playing more often, the likes of Bernardo and Danilo, who cost a lot of money in the summer, um, but have spent a lot of time on the bench. Watch when we score goals and they're on the bench and, and their reactions and how much they run to celebrate with the teammates. There's a really clear and obvious great team spirit. And anything at this point that risks breaking that up or putting anybody's nose out of joint is just, it's not worth doing. It's a, It would have been a, a good signing, but um, and it would have improved the team and I'm not going to pretend that I'm not disappointed he's not coming mm. but he's not coming for the right reasons and I'm, I'm happy with City's position on that um, it's, it, it would have been more of a luxury signing than a necessity as a, as a January window signing so I wish United weren't improving the team with a great player um, and I wish that we were but for the right reasons it's not happening and I'm fine with that yeah. Um, I actually think there's a lot of parallels that could be made between this deal and the potential deal of Barkley to Tottenham in that both of them were kind of being eyed as free transfers. Maybe they'd get done last summer. It didn't happen. Going into the last year of their contract, then a different club comes offering um, more money and then they end up going there. Obviously simplifying a lot to make the parallel more even. Um, but I think there could be some uh, discussion there between the two. Um, another thing for Manchester City. Uh, this is the first time we've had you on since Manchester City have lost the match, although technically there was one in the Champions League, but you weren't really trying, so I don't know if that counts or not. Um, uh, obviously, this isn't like any big wrench in that thing, but with this and the Alexis news, uh, are things a little bit uh, more sour in the Manchester City fan base, or are people just tending to take this in stride again as you basically are just strolling to the title at this point? Yeah, I think... Um... I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but my position on that defeat to Liverpool was that you have to lose eventually. So, obviously, at the point in the season that we'd managed to make it to unbeaten, then I think the idea of doing an unbeaten Premier League season had stopped being fanciful and was more of a... Still an outside target, but a target nonetheless. I think that's something that they must have been speaking about in the dressing room. It's definitely something that the fans were talking about, even if we still knew that it was pretty unlikely. So it was disappointing in that sense to finally lose. However, um, we knew going into that game, one, for what it's worth, we never win at Anfield. It just doesn't happen. And two, we were coming up against a very, very good team. Liverpool were unbeaten in 17 games going into that. Um, and so my take on it was... You have to lose at some point. That's just how sporting competition works. And we'd gone a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of time without a defeat. So when it came, I actually found it quite easy to take, as opposed to thinking like you could have gone the other way, like oh my god, this never happens. This is a disaster. I actually found it. Yeah, it, it was always going to happen again one day. It's been a good run. I was very comfortable with that. Um, in the grand scheme of things, although Liverpool were the better team and deserved the win on the day, uh, no problem with that. But really, they won that game because City had a mad eight to ten minutes that, where they absolutely threw it away after getting themselves back into a decent position. And that's eight to ten minutes out of a full season so far. Um, and again, I'm, I can't bring myself to be too upset about that. And then they rallied at the end of the game. So had we gone on to lose that game 5-6-1, or six, one, as was looking a real possibility with a half an hour to go, it would have been a very different feeling. But actually, they they rallied, they showed that team spirit again, they showed that they, um, okay, they, 
they fell apart briefly, but their heads didn't drop as such. They um, they clearly lost the cool, but in terms of keeping going, um, they didn't completely bottle it, if that makes sense. Like they, they partially bottled it for a while, but I have I have no real concerns with the fact we lost that game. We've won enough big games away to other very good teams that Liverpool stands out as the anomaly. And if you're going to lose, it might as well be as entertaining as that game was because it was a fantastic game of football, at least. Um, the Sanchez stuff, yeah, disappointing. But we've just come back and won 3-1, maintained a 12-point lead at the top of the league. We have a League Cup semi-final coming up this week where we're already, we already hold a 2-1 advantage. So hopefully we're booking a Wembley trip on Tuesday and uh, then we go to an FA Cup fourth round game hoping to progress in that competition so everything's going well and if our if our bad week is not signing a player that would have been something of a luxury Mm. and finally losing a game of football in the Premier League after breaking record after record after record um, I think you have to take a step back and say it's not such a bad position to be in actually even if that is a slightly disappointing week Mm. which works what I'll say as a City fan, we've had worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, must be bitterly disappointed to have lost the possible invincible season. Now you all you have left to chase is the treble. So uh, hopefully, um, oh, oh this quadruple, still- I suppose. Yeah, Champions League still on as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, not, obviously nothing uh, too tough at the moment uh, on your side. Uh, you have any questions about uh, Tottenham at the moment? Um, it's sort of a not. Dad specific one, um, and probably a slightly boring question to be honest. But um, looking at the league table, obviously Spurs currently fifth, three points from Arsenal, and two points from Liverpool, who are fourth but have a game in hand. Um, goal difference very similar to Liverpool and Chelsea above you. Uh, where do you see Tottenham finishing at the moment? Will they make it into the top four again? Is it um, obviously not? They don't strike me as being quite as consistent as the last couple of seasons, where. Uh, maybe it was only towards the end of the season that they they had a proper dip. Um, that's not quite been the order of it this year. How do you how do you see them finishing? Just gut instinct. I say we still finish top four. Um, I take us versus uh, Liverpool lost Coutinho, although obviously they didn't have that result basically as soon as that happened. Um, uh, so it hurts that argument a little bit. Um, but Arsenal obviously going to go through some changes as well, even if they do get Mkhitaryan, which. Uh, at the at time of recording, it does seem like that is going to be how the deal is structured. Um, so they will have an in-house replacement immediately, but I think that'll obviously take time to get going as well. So I, I favor us largely because we just got one Yama back. We're getting Toby back at the end of the month. Um, so it feels like we can start trending upwards soon uh, while others start trending down. Um, I was actually really surprised. Uh, so NBC Sports is the... Um, telecasters here in the states and they usually do a very good job but i was a little surprised by their take on um tottenham so after the disappointing 1-1 draw today to southampton they talked about how tottenham upcoming have united liverpool and arsenal and how that basically signals the end of our top four run but that's literally the opposite of what those quote-unquote six-point matches are that is the best opportunity to fight back into that top four by beating the teams around us and in front of us um is it a, a scary period, considering interspersed with those matches as Juventus twice? Yes. <laughs> um, but we have an opportunity here where Pochettino can just go into the dressing room and say, if we win two of these three, we're right back in it. Um, and, and I think we have every chance to. I agree with you that we've been less consistent. 
Um, I think Della Ali has uh, regressed is a harsh word, but maybe not progressed at the same rate that he had been uh, coming into this uh, season. Um, as I've mentioned before this year, my favorite article uh, from about September was uh, an article entitled Della Ali's Sophomore Slump, even though it's his third year. Loved it. I still think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, but he has been struggling. The defense has been a little bit weaker. I mean, you lose Wanyama in front of the defense and Toby Alderweireld within it, you're going to struggle a bit more. I think we, we've actually done kind of well to stay in this kind of four to six region while all of that's happened, although it is becoming uh, quite clear how much uh, th- this group of six has above everybody else, although credit to Burnley uh, for punching above their weight still. Um, but yeah, I, I think we will be okay. I think um, Kane may regress a little bit while uh, maybe Della shows up. He he had been doing well for the last four matches, was iffy today. Erickson missed through illness. Maybe he'll come back. Lamella's coming back to fitness. I, I think we have the pieces to be able to do it, and I think we're trending well as long as we can get some points up against these uh, uh, big boys in these fixtures coming up soon. But yeah, if if you ask me right now, will we make top four? I'm going to say yes um, for the reasons listed above. Actually, while I was talking about players coming back soon, it, it made me have one comeback question for you about City, which is part of what you said was when Jesus went down, Alexis kind of became more obvious. Um, but kind of mixed reports on Jesus. Some uh, kind of panicked, saying that he'd missed the World Cup. Some saying he could be back as soon as the Manchester Derby. What are we hearing on that recently? Well, when he initially went out, I mean, there was a, a sort of, I don't want to say miscommunication, but the, the initial fear, I think, that Guardiola said after the, directly after the injury was that it could. he was looking at maybe two months out. And then after that, it was very quickly revised down to four to six weeks. And then, yeah, there were these reports that seemed to come out of nowhere that it might be something far more serious. Um, but then City sort of uh, briefed the press that, no, it was in, I think, it was Barcelona for a scan because that's where all our players go for the scans. Um, yeah, and it was just a routine scan. They weren't expecting any particularly bad news. And then, yeah, it was, I think the, the next word was, it could be another two to three weeks, which is consistent with the, with the sort of four to six time, four to six week timescale that was given after the initial fear of two months. So, uh, yeah, I think he's, everyone's billing it as back sooner than expected, but that's only in the context of some errant reporting of what of how bad the injury was, it's actually consistent with the initial timescale that was given, really. Um, so, yeah, I would expect him to be back uh, at sometime in February, judging off the most recent official quotes. Cool. And now we will head into Player Watch. Uh, we already talked for City that Alexis isn't coming in. Are you expecting uh, any incomings? And if so, what position would you like to see it in? Left back. It will be- I, I got this one for you. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's this is a thing, though. Our, our left-back position appears to be some kind of weird uh, portal to greatness that I've, it, I don't understand it, apart from for Danilo, which is weird because he is an established full-back. Uh, but Delph has been fantastic there. Zinchenko looks very, very good, and he's not a left-back. Um, so, yes, I would like one, but I'm not overly worried about it because we... The cover that we've put there against all odds actually seems to be pretty good. Though, granted, if there were to be an injury to Zinchenko or a suspension, we'd be left, um, I don't know, we'd be left maybe having to play Edison as a auxiliary left-backer and goalkeeper. I don't know. I mean, his distribution's um, good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's the 
the only playmaking goalkeeper I've ever seen in the Premier League. So I'd, I'd have no concerns with him in any position on the pitch, to be honest. But uh, it wouldn't be ideal. So, yeah, we could do with one. But equally, I'm not worried about it. I think the, the bigger concern and the one most likely to be addressed in the January window is centre-back. I don't think we'll go for another striker. Uh, or another attacking player. I think if that's going to be a thing, then that will be in the summer. Um, because it always seemed that in that position, it was Sanchez or nothing. And I don't think that will change now. That would be a pretty weak position to take. Um, so yeah, it'll be centre-back, I think. And I think that will be Johnny Evans, which is not an exciting signing by any stretch, but I think it's a good one for somebody who is clearly not going to be a first choice because that has to be Stones and Otamendi. But Mangala, he's been all right in the Premier League, but then in the the Bristol City game uh, in the League Cup semi-final, he had an absolute abomination of a game, which suggests that he's he's not going to have some kind of Otamendi-like transformation. Um, And he will surely leave in the summer. Company cannot be relied on by, um, to any degree for fitness. So we do need another option uh, at centre-back, but it can't be somebody who displaces the main two uh, on, on any kind of regular basis. Evans is a very experienced Premier League defender. Um, he's very comfortable on the ball, which is obviously what Pep needs. Um, I think he'll be good if he was to be playing next to Stones. I think he'll be um, a good experience head next to him. And he's... Uh, He's got experience of winning trophies, and for what it's worth, he knows the area. He still has some uh, some very local ties uh, in and around Greater Manchester. So it takes a lot of boxes for me, that one, and I'd be perfectly happy to see him come in. But like I say, I'd, um, not exciting. I don't think you'd suddenly see a, a record-breaking rush for shirts sold with his name <laughs> on the back. Like that. But he'll do. Um, there's, there's no problem with it. And in the terms of... I think the average price for a Premier League player now is around the £18 million mark. Mm. Johnny Evans and above average defender. So somewhere in the, the £20, £23 million mark, I, I think, makes sense. It will damage West Brom, who need to stay up, so they need to be properly remunerated for it. Mm. Uh, and are difficult think, to, to negotiate with if anybody remembers the Sato Berahino transfer, although it looks silly yeah. now considering the player he's become, but... Well, indeed, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that won't happen to Evans. I'd imagine, I'd imagine when Evans comes to us, or if Evans comes to us, um, he will score at a greater rate than Berahino does now as well. So that's, um, if we take that as a comparison, then it's got everything going for it. Um, so yeah, that'd be the main one. And then it looks like we may well do like the thrashing out a deal for Fred from Shakhtar, but with a view to completing the deal in January, mm. but actually bringing in in the summer. Um, so yeah, as as in the here and now, players that will be immediately added to the squad. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Evans and nobody else. But again, I'm I'm all right with that. Yeah, um, for Tottenham people that listen to the show frequently will know uh, my stat on the last time Tottenham made a full move for a player in January was Lewis Holtby um, back in <laughs> I think it was 2013. So not expecting much, although uh, worth noting was the purchase of Della Ali and then his subsequent loan back to MK Dons for the remainder of that season. I think we could see that with one of two players <clears throat> in this particular window. There's obviously been um, further traction on Malcolm from Bordeaux. Uh, I actually am surprised that we are the ones currently in pole position as we record this by uh, all reports, um, <clears throat> just because clubs like Liverpool and Arsenal were also in for him and Sometimes their uh, wage structures and names and color palette <laughs> can all be reasons um, why they are chosen over us. Um, but it, again, with how Pochettino is 
uh, developing young players. That's certainly a big draw uh, to Tottenham at the moment. Uh, the other is Ryan Sessegnon at Fulham, who every Premier League club has been keeping tabs on. Um, it will be more interesting now. Um, I've mentioned on the show before that our Fulham representative on uh, the championship show, Russ Goldman, has actually been talking about how he thinks Ryan Sessegnon is, is going to be a, a left winger now and has played as a left midfielder now for them. Um, and has obviously been scoring plenty of goals. The goal scoring he had obviously belied that he would eventually play further up the pitch, uh, kind of like David Alaba uh, when he was at Bayern. He just kept crushing in goals. And you're like, how long are you going to keep him all the way back there? Um, <laughs> but wouldn't be surprised if we made formal bids for either one of them. Whether or not they'd be accepted, I don't know. If either were accepted, I would assume it would come with a loan back, which would mean another January of not strengthening to make that top four chase, which financially seems... Uh, kind of short-termist, um, if you're worried about spending 30 to $40 million in January, but it costs you 60 plus if you miss out on the Champions League in the summer. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I- I'm not a Premier League club financier, uh, so I'm sure there's something I'm somehow missing in that logic. But uh, to me, I think it would be worth it to, to pay money now. But I think uh, if anything happens, it would be one of those two names, again, bought now and then loaned back to their respective clubs until the end of the season. All right, that'll do it for us today. So, uh, Richard, if you'd like to tell people where they could find you, now would be a good time. Uh, yes, so I am on Twitter, at Richard the Burns, and I am part of the Blue Moon podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast released every Friday with rotating guests, of which I am one. Uh, so if you download that regularly, you will hear me from time to time. Um, and they are also on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my articles over at Goal.com. Uh, they're about fantasy football if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, and, of course, be sure to check in with our championship and fantasy shows that show up on this very EPL Roundtable channel. Uh, Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again to our guests, who, again, were Dan, who is at the underscore jersey underscore fits on Twitter, who also writes for EPL Index. And then, again, Mike, who you can find uh, at, from the rookery end. Thanks again to them for lending their... Uh, information today as well thanks to you again richard for joining us and we hope you keep listening 